0: Father, we do worship you because of your great character, your great love for us, your patience with us. Indeed, as the song so beautifully states it, you are holy, and yet your holiness is not contradictory with your love that expresses itself in the coming of your Son for our salvation. Speak now through your word to the people you've gathered here tonight. Through my very imperfect and feeble lips, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and take a seat, friends. Again, welcome to Epiphany. My name is Eric. In case I have not met you before, Uh, today is well, sort of a strange day, and it's not necessarily a day that's celebrated all throughout the Universal Church, but it's a day that is observed throughout Protestant churches all across the world. This is Reformation Day. Now. I should clarify, Reformation Day technically is celebrated on October 31st. There's another holiday on that day as well, but uh, Reformation Day obviously is the one that we as Americans uh, acknowledge and are, you know, think is much more important. Um, that was meant to be a joke. Anyhow, um, but, uh, but because the way we do it is we celebrate always on the last Sunday of October, and this is the last Sunday of October. So... Uh, so today is Reformation Day, and we are going to look at a text that is very much relevant to the themes that were recovered and discussed more during the period of the Reformation. It comes out of John 8:31 through 36. John 8:31 through 36, and it reads like this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, "If you abide in my word, you are truly." The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. In the reading. Well, uh, it's hard to think of a word that gets bandied about more in commercials, in culture, than maybe the word freedom, at least in the United States. Uh, In our founding documents, we, of course, declare that we are entitled to life, liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. One of the country's most famous quotes from one of their founding fathers, Patrick Henry, famously said, Give me liberty, freedom, or give me death. In some parts of the country, when France opposed our entry or invasion of Iraq, decided at the time that instead of calling French fries, French fries, they would refer to them as Freedom Fries. Freedom is almost synonymous with American thinking, at least theoretically. And, of course, the freedom that's being talked about here is is freedom from political tyranny. It's, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom, you know, the right to bear arms, etc., etc. I could go on and on, but this isn't a constitutional class and it's not a Bill of Rights class. But there is, I would argue, a much greater freedom that we all need that gets overlooked in the American discussion of freedom, and that is, of course, spiritual freedom. That is a far more significant need And when we talk about that kind of freedom, we're talking about freedom that goes deeper than just our temporal rights while we are here on earth, but they are freedoms from things that have eternal consequences. Namely, historically, we said sin, death, and hell, or sin, death, and the devil. If there was uh, anyone who wrestled with this concept of freedom, this spiritual freedom in history, Martin Luther's... kind of has to be at the top of the list. The the great German reformer uh, almost drove himself to the point of madness, insanity, trying to have this spiritual freedom in his relationship with God. He had signed up at a fairly young age to be a monk. He was devoted as a monk. All of his fellow monks said so, so devoted that he he would beat himself to try and beat his body into submission so that he wouldn't sin. He would spend hours and hours and hours of a day going to the confessional so that he can confess every last sin that he had committed in thought, word, and deed. And yet, it was never enough. Because Luther was blessed and cursed with a brutal honesty about himself. Whereas most of us are able to sort of gloss over our imperfections or, or rationalize them away, Luther just seems to have no ability to do that. Luther just was utterly aware of how flawed he was. And he couldn't let it go. And the reason he couldn't let it go is because he looked at the scriptures that said you must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect, and he took it seriously. What? If I must be perfect, I'm clearly not. What does that mean? Well, Romans spells it out. The wages of sin is Death. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus says in our passage here that if you sin at all, you're a slave to sin. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that we can't free ourselves from this. It means that we're headed towards death. It means that we're headed towards condemnation. And this drove Luther crazy. And so he sought the scriptures with everything in his person to try and find some way, some means by which he could be set free spiritually. Was there any other way besides what we do? In the church at the time, the answer predominantly was no. It is based on what you do. Eventually Luther had a breakthrough. And he began to see something and actually, not just the scriptures, but even some of the early church fathers that he was reading, he began to see that there was a different answer in the scriptures about how one must be freed by God. That there wasn't just words that told you what you needed to do, but there were words that told you what was done for you by Jesus Christ. He called these words law and gospel. And what he found is, is a few insights I want to share with you tonight that are related to our text. First of all, Luther found that rather than us being freed up or saved by our works, in fact, no, it started with God's word alone. It started with God's word alone. Now, if you remember when Jesus was speaking to Pharisees and his opponents, the religious zealots of Jerusalem often, uh, what he would find them getting most offended by is that he would go after their traditions. They assumed their traditions were right in line with the Word of God, but they weren't often. And so Jesus would constantly need to bring them back to what the Word actually said. Indeed, in our text, what does Jesus say? If you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is his Word that brings freedom. Well, of course, just as in Jesus' day, the religious leaders had added all sorts of traditions on top of Scripture, the medieval church, by the time of Luther's day, had added a a ton of extra things one had to do in order to be right. And a ton of other authorities. There were the councils, and there were the catechisms, and there were the papal authorities, and whatever came out from them basically was treated as if it was Scripture itself. And Luther said, no, 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 no. No, that doesn't count as the word. The word is what is written. Well, of course, this got Luther into some hot water. And after a few years of, oh, bickering back and forth with church authorities and that sort of thing, they called a diet, basically a meeting. They said, we want to meet you in a place called Worms, spelled Worms. And so Luther showed up there and quickly realized that he wasn't showing up for just a friendly debate about theological issues. No he was being summoned there to fully recant everything that he had written up until that point. And he knew what would happen if he didn't recant. He knew that the church and the state were so mingled together that the church could order the state to get Luther's head. The stakes could never be higher. And yet here's what Luther said when, de- when it was demanded that he go back on all the things he said about the word of God. Quote, Unless I am convinced by the testimonies of the Holy Scriptures or evident reason, for I believe in neither the Pope nor councils alone, since it has been established that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures that I have adduced, and my conscience has been taken captive by the Word of God. And I am neither able nor willing to recant, since it is neither safe nor right to act against conscience and then he concludes his statement with a brief prayer God help me Amen He knew what the stakes were and yet he had become convinced that it wasn't councils and catechisms and all the other traditions that were the, on the that gave the authority of the word no, 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 that they had to go back to the scriptures they had to go back to the word to see where freedom came from Indeed, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So that's the first element that we learn about where freedom comes from. It comes from the word. The second element is that it happens by God's grace alone. By God's grace alone. As Jesus spoke to his interlocutors in our text, he tells them that they are by nature slaves to sin. Uh, shockingly, they do not respond to this with great joy and enthusiasm. They do not say, oh, good. But in fact, don't understand what he's talking about at all. In their minds, they've got the right bloodline, they've got the right family connections, they're obeying the law of Moses, they think, in their minds. But Jesus, Jesus sort of comes down on them, subtly, but he says... The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, his point is to show them that the only way they can be freed, that they don't even know they need to be freed yet, is if they are graciously freed by the son himself. Once again, flash forward 1,500 years and the religious establishment of the Reformation has lost this. They don't see they're enslaved either. They don't see that they're enslaved to all sorts of rules and traditions that were never meant to be, that they've gone way beyond what the Word of God says. And when Luther comes saying, no, 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 the way you're freed isn't by what you do, but by all of what the grace of God has accomplished, there's a violent reaction. You know what's going to happen if you tell people that they're saved entirely by grace, dear Luther? Do you know what they're going to do? Do you know what the rabble will do? They're going to rebel. It's going to be absolute anarchy. You can't be proclaiming totally grace alone that saves or else people are going to take advantage of it. We need to keep things under control. Oh, it's always... It's always the fear about preaching too much grace. That you all hearing that it's totally by God's work alone will hear that as an invitation, a license to go out and, I don't know, start killing cats or something. That you're going to go out and live like absolute wild people. Luther said, I'm willing to take that gamble because that's what the Word of God teaches. I'm willing to take that bet. Yeah, some people will abuse it, sure. Sure. But the reality is people need it. People can't live without grace. And we need it all the time. Over and over and over again. I know I do. About a week and a half ago, I got to co mc a a conference, an online conference that we uh, put on in honor of Luther's 500th anniversary of his little writing of Freedom of the Christian which I'd encourage you to pick up. I mean, it's it's tiny. It's really easy to read, but really profound writing. Marilyn Robinson, the great writer, recently said that it is one of the great works of literature in history. I mean, that's how much she thinks of it. It's just phenomenal. And so in honor of this, we put on this conference, and we got to discussing together with our friend Matt Popovitz, a pastor who once served in the city here and now serves in Houston. We got to talking about the need to hear the grace of God conveyed to us by others on a regular basis that we just can 't get away from it, and well, my friend Kelsey, my co-host, began sharing some of the reason why she needs grace and I felt like it might be a good illustration for you to see here tonight of what what this what this grace being being poured out on somebody actually has the power to do, so Dom, go ahead and roll the quick.
1: yeah I, I mean, I just became a mom and people talk about it all the time but mom guilt is a yeah. very real real thing and i think yeah. it's such an internal whether you you experience that or some other sort of internal guilt or anxiety and i'm not necessarily talking about something that's you know you need to be treated for but something just that everyone yeah. deals with daily i think it's interesting to talk about um, the law as that kind of internal voice that's constantly condemning you and the fact that the, the gospel as an outside voice is needed, whether it's from a spouse or a friend or a pastor saying, that's not only not true sometimes, mm-hmm. but you're forgiven of that, whether it's true or not. Yep. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that that's um, it's 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 interesting to think of the law kind of working in that way, just in our psyche, yeah. as you mentioned. Yeah,
2: there are so many forces at work mm-hmm. to call me bad. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then, and then here, here, comes, here comes God, the Father,
0: mm-hmm.
2: who sees you wrapped in the, the perfection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he sees you in a moment of mom guilt and he saddles up next to you. And, you, and, and you've got all these words of, you know, not enoughness and, and I am bad, I am bad, I am yeah, bad. Multiplied by a thousand by social media. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, but then here's God, he saddles up next to you on that couch with Otto crawling all over you. And he looks at you and he sees Christ wrapped around you. And he says, Kelsey, you are good. You are good. And you are more than enough. And that, that is, that is such, a, like, such a life-giving word. Like you yeah. are good. And the one who made you, yeah. who made all of this, yeah. the, the only judge who matters, the only court that counts, he, he holds court on your couch. Yeah. And because of Christ, he says, I know not, not, not half of what you'd want to be. Yeah. Right. But I made you his mom, and you are mine, and you are good. Mm-hmm. And that, thats a word all of us need, mm-hmm. whatever our particular couch is. Yep. Because I've got that in my office at my church. I'm, like, I'm not good enough. I'm not. Yep. And that's and and.
0: and you do the opposite of Stuart oh, f- Smalley. I'm not good enough. <laughs> right? I'm not smart enough. But God yeah. likes me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> For sure. For sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> When, when Matt just shared that encouraging word of grace for Kelsey as she was experiencing what she called mom guilt, being a, a new mom, I just saw, I saw the grace of God wash over her. And I saw freedom come to her. And I felt the freedom to overhearing that grace be conveyed to someone else. Luther saw this and said, we need it all the time. And that's what what God does for us. I mean, he he stoops down in his grace to this death-scarred world and delivers to us the goods. Sometimes through a preacher, sometimes through a friend, sometimes through a neighbor, sometimes through a show or a movie or whatever it can be. But God is, is finding ways, vehicles through which he delivers this message that, you know what? Yeah, I know you're not... Who you wish you could be. I know you're not good enough. Yes, I'm aware of that, but I've taken care of it in the person of my son Jesus Christ, and through him you're enough. Third element of the Reformation recovered was answering the question: how is this grace received? How was this grace received? Well, the Reformers said it was pretty simple. That the contrary to what was being taught, that it was just sort of this mixture of faith and works that was going to combine one day to add up to finally be enough. No, that it was just going to be faith alone that ultimately received the promises that God had to give us. Faith is a receptive organ, and it's something, believe it or not, that is created by God in you. It's not even something that you have naturally within yourself. It is something that God gives you, as Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 clearly spell out. Luther saw this and rejoiced. Jesus says in the text, Abide in me. That's another way of saying, Trust me. Have faith in me. Stand on me. So, we've learned so far that these three crucial elements really were recovered in the Reformation, that, that God freed people up by his word alone, that it was by his grace alone, and that it was through faith alone. But there's, of course, one more that's really significant, and, and really we could say two more, but, but this one is, is really where it all gets narrowed down, and that is, reformers said, it all comes in the person of Christ alone. Jesus said to those in the crowd that he's speaking to in John 8, only the Son can set you free. Not another prophet, not another Moses, but only the Christ himself. Only the Son. As Luther looked at the scriptures, he saw that there was no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. When he looked at 1 Timothy 2, he saw that there was was only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It is only Jesus that lived perfectly in your place. It is only Jesus that died the death that you deserve. It is only Jesus as the very Son of God that has the power to atone for all humanity's sins. It is only Jesus that has defeated death forever by rising again from the dead. And it is only Jesus that immediately ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty in victory. It is true. The creation is filled with all sorts of shortcomings, sins, and failures. But the way to be freed from all of that slavery and all of that bondage is through Jesus Christ. It's through faith alone, in Him alone. Thus, one time a friend reached out to Luther who was really struggling with depression and anxiety. And the reason was, well, he was struggling with sin. And because he was struggling with sin, you know, the natural inclination, as I sort of prayed about at our beginning when when we were doing confession, the natural inclination is to think, this must mean I'm not really a Christian. I keep on going back to the same stuff, to the same wrong things. I wonder if I've ever been saved at all. This is how Luther counseled his friends to deal with it when he was feeling accused and beaten up. Quote, When the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What other? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there shall I be also. And that, of course, results in glory to God alone. Luther sees the system going on for hundreds of years and says, "The problem, folks, is you made this about man. It's become a man-centered religion. It's not Christianity is about God and what God is doing to save rebellious creatures. That's the story. It's not about you. It's not. It's about Him and what He's doing to redeem His world." So, I I mean, I've been yelling this for years, and I'll keep on yelling it. I look around at the modern church, of all strands, my own, you know, tradition, whatever, and I just think, goodness gracious, we need a constant recovery of these things. We need a modern reformation of these things. Because we want to do the same thing that has been done throughout history. We want to make it about me. We want to make it about man. We want to make it about us. It's not. It's about the good news of God transforming his world and bringing his world into redemption with him. The late pastor Robert Capen once wrote memorably, and I'm just about done, I just want you to hear this quote. It says, quote, The Reformation was a time when men went blind, staggering drunk. Don't worry, he's not talking about booze. Because they had discovered in the dusty basement of late medievalism A whole cellar full of 1,500-year-old, 200-proof grace. Bottle after bottle a pure distillate of Scripture, one sip of which could convince anyone that God saves us single-handedly. The word of the gospel, after all those centuries of trying to lift yourself into heaven by worrying about the perfection of your bootstraps, suddenly turned out to be a flat announcement that the saved were home before they even started. My prayer is that we would once again recover the pure distillate of Scripture, sipping on all the glory of the Gospel so that we would be so intoxicated with that good news that it causes us to walk in the great freedom God has to give us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for getting distracted. And forgetting, and getting centered on a bunch of other things that are far lesser things. Help us to be anchored in the Word, so that we don't leave what matters, so that we don't stray from it. And when we do, by the power of your Spirit, bring us back. Constantly pursue us, God, when we fall, when we fall off off the path, and when we when we go in a way that we ought not to. And in our freedom that you have given us through Jesus Christ, help us look for ways, creative ways in our various locations to serve our neighbors. At work, at home, help us look for ways to be good neighbors. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray with one voice Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses